Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Zach on Film. I'm Zach Wolf. Across from me is Steven Schleicher. Hello. And rumbling across the internet is Rodrigo Lopez. Oh, hey. Hey, he's back. And of course, over there, Matthew Peterson. I don't get to rumble? I don't. Oh. No, you're just there. Okay, that's yeah. cool, I suppose. But the whole gang's back together. Yeah, for we're putting the band back together. For a, a movie. That is near and dear to our current location. And by our, I mean Steven and, and Zach's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This week's, we are talking Paper Moon, mm-hmm. a movie that I just recently found out was filmed in the Hayes, Kansas like area. Two weeks ago when we were talking about yeah. it. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> I mean, I found I out like, like through work. Know that this is, you work for the visitors, <laughs> Hayes Visitors and Convention Bureau, and you didn't know that 1973's Paper Moon, starring uh, Tatum and Ryan O'Neill, was was shot here in the Hayes, Kansas area. Yeah, no. It had never been brought up in anything we had ever discussed until like you had mentioned it before and mm-hmm. then I started talking about it at work like, oh yeah, that movie, we all love it. It's great. We should find a VHS copy of it. And I go, have you heard of the internet? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so the, uh, uh, back in the 70s, mm-hmm. a movie was filmed here and turns out pretty good. Pretty interesting. Very, very good movie. Yeah, and uh, it it has been probably about oh, I don't know, twenty years since I saw it last. So Mm -hmm. sitting down to watch this was a super treat because I'd forgotten how the the main thing that I always remember, and I probably think about this at least twice a month. Especially mm-hmm. when I'm going through drive-throughs, <laughs> and that is the the money scam that they. Oh do. yeah. So for 20 uh-huh. years, I've been thinking about, oh, how does that scam work, and how easy is it is to distract someone, and I just never took it upon myself to go back and visit the movie again. Yeah. To really see how they how they did it, mm-hmm. and so you know, watching that again was a real treat. Uh, but the, you know, this is a movie that I've been thinking about on a very regular basis since I saw it. You know, 30, well, 25 years ago, probably. I was still in. High school when I saw it, so really, yeah, yeah it's been a while. Have yep. uh, Matthew, had you ever seen Paper Moon before? Uh, this movie actually holds a special place in my heart because uh, I don't know if you know this, Zach, but when Stephen and I were young, there were only like three television networks, right? And I believe it was ABC used to do this thing where they would rotate these movies in and out, and I very clearly remember mm-hmm. watching. This movie and hearing the the woman singing on each In and Out bumper, the little only a paper moon. Yeah, I think that was Channel Forty One because I think I saw that as well. It was a network. I'm almost certain it was a network because it would have been it would have been right about the time there was a Paper Moon TV show. Mm-hmm. So I was, you know, we were very very young. But yeah, I remember this and of course uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory as well as movies that we saw on TV that I enjoyed when I was young, but. I hadn't seen it in uh, probably 10, 15 years. Okay. Rodrigo, had, had you, have you been familiar with Paper Moon? I was largely because um, I hadn't seen it before, but uh, when I arrived in Kansas, it got talked up a lot. People were like, welcome to Hayes. They shot a little bit of Paper Moon here. Well, and, and the interesting <laughs> thing is that was probably in around 2003 because that's when Hayes was celebrating the 30th anniversary of the movie. Right. Yeah. So that's Wait. probably why it had a lot of talk going on then. Right. And and I guess that's just why 
I was never told about Paper Moon because I just came in a little bit too late and no one has decided to do another big celebration of Paper Moon since I've been here. For someone who works for the Hayes <laughs> Visitors and Convention Bureau, you would think you could make a big happen. to do about you know, this. You it, know, it's, it's slowly happening. It's now past the 40th anniversary. You passed that it up. Is. I, w- I wasn't working there. I'm going to get, I'm gonna get uh, absolved of that. The 45th anniversary will up. be next year. Yeah. yeah. Right. So you can do it. And we currently have a very good relationship with the people who are running the Fox Theater yeah. where, uh, you know, the Paper Moon has been shown before. Yeah, that the actually when uh, Paper Moon debuted because it was shot in and around this area, Peter Brogdanovich, who's the director on this, which who we need to talk about. Yeah. Um, they made sure that the Midwest premiere was in Hayes, Kansas, and the theater was completely sold out. I mean, over 900 seats were in the theater at the time. And nobody, I mean, nobody else could get tickets. There were, you know, people milling around in the streets mm-hmm. uh, waiting for the movie to get out so that they could, you know, wave at the actors and actresses and everybody that was here. So uh, it was it was a big deal. Now, it's it's not without its controversy either, because uh, uh, according to one story, and I don't know if this was in Brogdanovich's um, book or someone else's book, but they said during the production, it caused a lot of conflict with. Uh, people that were dating in Hayes because all of the women wanted to be hanging around those people from oh, Hollywood no. and all of the Hayseeds were getting kind of angry. So it got, <laughs> it got very interesting. In fact, um, they stayed at the Holiday Inn, which is just in the last year been being torn down. Uh-huh. Uh, so by the time people hear this, it'll be completely gone. We hope. Yeah. Fingers crossed. <laughs> uh, but uh, one of the things that they did when um, – the Holiday Inn, when everyone was leaving, it said, thank you for sleeping with us. Paper Moon. <laughs> so it was basically kind of not only a dig on uh, some of the shenanigans that were going on and causing uh, romantic conflicts, but mm-hmm. also because that's where they stayed was at that Holiday Inn mm-hmm. uh, back in the 70s. So there you go. A that's little so more wonderful. knowledge that you can wow. add to your ticket. I, I feel as if Hayes has finally made its mark on the map. Forget all the rest of the history. Oh, we had we the had, Wild Bill Hickok. Forget everything the, uh, else. <laughs> we we had a movie film here for a short period of time in the seventies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Stephen, you wanted to talk about the director, whose well, name I can't okay, pronounce. Okay, so Peter Bogdanovich is kind of one of these really interesting uh, directors that have been around for a long time. He has. He was part of that new Hollywood crowd. So when you talk mm-hmm. about this transition of things that are happening in the uh, late 60s, early 70s with Spielberg and, and De Palma and um, uh, George Lucas all coming on the scene, Peter Brogdanovich was one of those people. Now, the really cool, interesting thing that I find among all of his films that he's done now, the, his first movie that he did was uh, The Last Picture Show, which I believe was also a black and white film. And then his second film was Paper Moon, 1973, mm-hmm. which was black and white as well. I think the, he did What's Up, Doc, in between. Uh, yeah, that would be 72, right. Um, but the interesting thing is that he became really, really, really good friends with Orson Welles in Welles's latter part of his life and actually wrote one of the biographies of Orson Welles. And one of the influences of why he did Last Picture Show and Paper Moon in Black and White was because because Orson Welles says nothing is better than a movie shot in black and white. <laughs> and so that's why he went and did these two uh-huh. in black and white instead of color. Uh, the other reason, too, is that uh, both Ryan and Tatum O'Neill have very blonde hair at the time. And they were worried that if they did that in color, that the blonde hair would be... Um, look really odd for Dust Bowl. Yeah. 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 It'd look really odd for Dust Bowl people, for Mm -hmm. people that are trying to uh, scrounge for a living. People thought that they weren't, they wouldn't look dirty enough. But in the black and white film, their hair looks kind of brownish in in some angles and and lighter in other areas. So it has this dusty kind of look to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, speaking of the looks of our two main actors, they are related. It is mm-hmm. a father and daughter duo. Um, I mean, that just seems like one hard. <laughs> like, wouldn't that? You, did he think it, it lent more to them being playing off that they're actually not related? They are related. Um, how do you think that kind of came across on the screen? Just their dynamic together. Well, so I mean, that brings up one of the the core questions I think for for this movie is 
This movie opens up with a scam artist who is going around selling uh, Bibles, mm-hmm. uh, cheap Bibles at, at a hugely inflated prices to old widows. Right. And he's making his living doing that, going from small Kansas town to small Kansas town, working for the Kansas Bible Company. And he happens to show up at this uh, funeral for this woman and he meets the daughter, Addie Prey. And people are like, oh, so is this your daughter? You two kind of look alike. Right. And he's like, no, 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 no. This is not my daughter. Uh, I just know the mother and I kind of feel bad. And then they're like, oh, well, she has relatives in St. Joseph, Missouri. Why don't you take her with you since you're going that way? And then that's how they get hooked up. They do form a bond. And I do think that the fact that they were father daughter did help that because Tatum O'Neill, I believe when this movie started um, uh, filming, she was eight. Mm -hmm. Um, And by the time the Oscars rolled around and she won, she was 10. Uh, So I think that that helps to have that fatherly figure there with her. But I guess the question for you guys is, by the end of the movie, do you think that Ryan O'Neill's character is actually uh, Addie's real father in the movie? Oh, yeah. I, I, from the very beginning, I think that that's the obvious underpinning of this. He's, he's such an inveterate liar that he can't even tell her the truth that he knows that this is his daughter. I mean, you can, and I think that the fact that they cast an actual father and daughter really makes that subtextual in every single fricking scene because people talk about, Oh, you have the same jaw. These are people who are genetically related. You can see it on the screen. And I don't know that you would have been able to do even, even the best casting agent might not have been able to get something that had that perfect resemblance to where you can go. Yeah, this is her dad guys. Well, and and then part of that was Brogdonovich really wanted Tatum O'Neill for the piece, but her dad was like, no, um, she's too young to be getting into this business, et cetera, et cetera. And so the, he said, well, maybe if you played the father, mm-hmm you would be able to oversee this during the production and you'd be there keeping an eye on her. And so that's how he eventually agreed to, to play the part. Um, but what do you think, Rodrigo? Do you think by the end of the movie that, um, you know, that uh, these two are related in the movie? Well, I think it doesn't completely matter. I, I like that the movie never explicitly says so, right? Mm-hmm. It lets mm-hmm. you draw that conclusion either way, right? Either they're, clearly related or um they're not but it doesn't matter because now they basically are father and daughter by the end of the movie right Right. they they don't want to be apart um so personally i'm i'm with matthew i think the movie does everything but tell you outright that it is in fact true um but it's you know they leave it open because i think they they want you to take that step on your own, right? Mm-hmm. They want you to, to rather than tell you, oh, this is why these two characters should care for each other. They show you why they care for each other. Mm-hmm. And then you can take that final step yourself. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think Rodrigo has the main point is that it doesn't matter. Ultimately, if these two are father and daughter inside the film, because the important part of Paper Moon is watching their relationship develop from total strangers to leaving an actual family member to run down a dusty road to jump in yeah. an old busted up with a con man yeah. to continue the journey because it's the person you actually want to be with. Right. Right. Uh, there are two other pretty big characters that hop into the storyline midway through the film mm-hmm. in the form of a burlesque-ish dancer and the girl no Trixie Delight who's kind of gone and decided that it's better to potentially not make any money following this girl around than Mm -hmm. be with her family Mm -hmm. uh, through the hard times that everyone has fallen in Um, what did you I mean it is a did you think it was necessary to bring in these other characters to continue to develop the relationship? Yeah, because at some point they're getting along so well. They're making so much money mm-hmm. off this scam. And what really makes this uh, team work is the fact that Addie can kind of read these old widows and know mm-hmm. how much she can push that Bible sales. Because he's, you know, um, Ryan O'Neill's character has just been, you know, a set price, 10 bucks or whatever it is. So he's mm-hmm. his profit margin is not very good. But Addie can see, oh, here's somebody that 
is a little more rich. We could charge $25 for her and maybe give it to free for this other person or, right. or you know, however it works out. And uh, so that what what makes their relationship uh, really great to the point that they're loaded. I mean, he has already made the money, the $200 that he owes her back and more. And so you have to introduce this conflict. Mm-hmm. And knowing that he is someone who... Uh, may not be great with money and is always uh, running around with different women, as is set up in the movie multiple times. It makes sense then that Madeline Kahn's Trixie Delight and her uh, sidekick end up going along for the ride and end up taking basically all their money. Yeah, what do you think about yeah. it, Rodrigo? <clears throat> so this uh, movie is kind of an episodic movie, right? You kind of see these adventures that they're having throughout and one of the main episodes is that time when two other people joined the gang Mm -hmm. um and you get to see how the dynamic changes and it doesn't change for the better as far as uh definitely not as far as um addy's concerned um and so she kind of has to put that that plan into effect to uh change it back Yeah, what do you think about the introduction of two other characters through this relationship, Matthew? Well, I, I'm of two minds because I it is difficult in a modern context to look at the character of Imogene and not kind of have just a little bit of cringe uh, at that at the way the character is portrayed. But I feel like the real the real thing that she brings to this that that character uh what's her name trixie delight what she brings to this is not just conflict but a clear at least to me a clear statement here that addy is actually smarter than mose and addy is not just better at reading these old ladies she's actually better at the whole the whole confidence game to the point where she puts one over on her not on not unquote dad to get rid of that extra character and i think that's another point where just like at the end where we see her doing something probably foolish and unwise to stay with mose she does that earlier in the film when she tries to get rid of Trixie and when she successfully gets rid of Trixie by playing a long game involving manipulating four or five full-grown adults who should know better and getting away with it all and also giving Imogene a little money so maybe she can go home too. I mean, it's one of those things where the character is actually showing a lot of herself in that sequence, even though it does feel like there's a lot more Trixie necessarily than it needs. Yeah. I'm not going to complain about anything with Madeline Kahn, especially Madeline Kahn playing Dippy. I think the other thing that's kind of important about having those two characters appear and then exit Mm -hmm. is that if before they appear, the movie would be very short because they're just making money and they're getting along and, and things are wonderful. Uh, After they have exited and they're broke, they start to resort to more desperate uh, scams in order to make their money and to make it back quickly. And that's what gets them in trouble with uh, the law mm-hmm. when they are caught smuggling alcohol. Yep, uh, Sheriff Higgins comes yeah, after him. Yeah. Uh, Deputy Harden and his uh, identical twin brother, Jess Harden, played by John Hillerman of uh, Magnum P.I. fame. Yeah, that is ultimately one of the big conflicts that ends the dramatic cons that we've been watching through in the entirety of Paper Moon of when Addie and Moe's hatch a plan to take one over on a, a bootlegger by selling him his own whiskey back. Uh, mm-hmm. and then they have to run from the law multiple times, trade cars, hop the river to Missouri, get beat up, and then finally just kind of call it quits for a little bit. Don't forget having to wrestle Randy Quaid. Oh, yeah. Randy yeah. Quaid shows up. That was the weird thing that I was not expecting about this movie was how mm-hmm. many people I actually recognize. I think we're, we finally watched enough movies through this podcast that mm-hmm. at, like the three of you did in the first half. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. this person, this person. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, I recognize these three people. 
And again, like last yep. uh, last week when we watched Cowboys, we had a store mm-hmm. clerk mm-hmm. who was featured in Blazing Saddles. Right. And this, we get uh, Burton Gilliam, who played Floyd the Front Desk clerk, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. was in Blazing Saddles. Mm-hmm. And then yep. uh, the actress who played Trixie, also in Blazing yep. Saddles, right. which, was, yeah. which was crazy. Uh, but then seeing uh, Cousin Eddie show up towards the end and get his wrestling on was just a wonderful moment for me watching this. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. you have to you have to remember this is way early in Randy Quaid's career. I mean, this is only his third his third movie. And again, he was in What's Up Doc, uh, also directed by Brogdonovich. Uh, so yeah. um, there is that relationship there that mm-hmm. says, hey, we need somebody that looks big and could probably play dumb. And do some wrestling mm-hmm. uh, for a car. Let's uh, pull in Randy Quaid. So, you know, this is one of those things where it does pay to be connected to yeah. people in order to get uh, to get that recognition and, and maybe kickstart your career. I don't know. But uh, I would say being in two of those movies, which were successes, um, probably a good thing for him. Yeah. yeah. Was there anyone else in this movie that I might have recognized that we've seen pop up other places in film? Those were the only couple that Noble I. Noble Willingham was in this. Uh, he, I know him as the uh, the uh, captain from Walker, Texas Ranger. <laughs> okay. He was in this very briefly, and of course, uh, the guy who was the deputy, the dumb deputy. I can't remember what he was in, but I know I knew him from something. Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of those their faces, but I think the I think you hit on the main ones, especially yeah. when you get into. Um, yeah. um, the guy at the front desk, what's his name? Uh, Burton. Yeah. Classic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One that I had through watching Paper Moon, besides trying to pick out all the filming locations, was, was Addy too smart of a child to be pulling all of this off? Did, did it seem like a regular uh, a, a, amount of intellect to be seen by a nine-year-old being able to improve on these cons by apparently a seasoned con man. Yeah. The, um, there's this, there's this trope, right? This like precocious child. Um, and people love it. Like people absolutely love a child that is smarter than a child ought to be. Um, and sometimes they really, really skirt the edge and sometimes just go right past it of like how smart a kid and how aware and sort of socially aware of these complex situations a child even could be. Um, and I think uh, people are very lenient uh, uh, of it because we just can't get enough of it. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it just like... Um, and I mean, I'm not I'm not saying they're equal, but it's like any time there's a movie and all of a sudden one of the main male characters ends up in drag, like people just find that hilarious, you know, and yep. it's just like it's just drag, man. But it doesn't yep. matter. Anytime it happens, it's just uproarious. And this is another one of those like tried and true tropes. It works yep. every time. People just absolutely love it. And they're willing to, like, people are just so willing to suspend their disbelief for a little tiny child that talks like an adult. Unless his yep. name's Cousin Oliver. Yeah. Well, and Cousin Oliver was, you know, kind of an exception to the rule in that he was an addition to a long-running ensemble cast. And that's kind of a, a different trope, trying to pull the same thing. But I, I agree with Rodrigo, and I didn't feel like it was really in any way a problem in this story because as we see all of the main characters are basically desperately trying to get by and doing whatever they do whether that be you know being a corrupt sheriff or being a uh, borderline prostitute slash dancer or you know being a grifter and traveling from town to town and ripping off uh, people whose husbands have just died I never felt like what she got away with ever felt like it was way into the, you know, the Steve Urkel territory. It didn't ever feel like she was ready to build a time machine and make her evil twin. But I also feel like that's the strength of this movie is not just that the character is the smartest character in the movie, but the actress is able to pull it off. I think with a, with a lesser actress, you know, even with a, a like a Christy McNichol 
you have no idea who that is or like a, a Lindsay oh, Lohan <laughs> in a modern in a modern context I don't think that it would have played as well and I think that's part of that's part of what's unique about this film is that it's believable because the actress makes it believable she's good enough to pull off even the ridiculous stuff that she gets away with at the hotel yeah she's good enough she's uh, also the youngest uh, uh, I think up until Haley Joel Osment she was the youngest actress to win an Academy Award. Yep. So, Which is impressive. Yeah. It, very impressive. Uh, Steven, the, the, the reason that Paper Moon made it on to the show mm-hmm. is because we went to the theater a couple weeks ago and watched right. Logan. And right. from that, there was a list of movies that have inspired Logan. And so we decided to take a look at them. Mm-hmm. What are the main aspects you feel that Paper Moon influenced Logan? So here's a loner guy, yep. right, in the form of Mose, who really has little or no interest in kids, who's suddenly forced to deal with a kid who he kind of likes, is kind of his relation, mm-hmm. uh, and is actually better than he is. And so when you look at what's going on in Paper Moon and you take those themes of uh, the parental line- lineage and someone is replacing you and, and what does it mean to be family – that stuff is right in there with almost every frame of Logan. Mm-hmm. And it, it's also a weird quasi road trip movie mm-hmm. that Logan mm-hmm. is as, as they travel north to, uh, I think it was Paradise or the Canadian border. Right. Uh, in Paper Moon, we see Mose and Addy meander their way across western Kansas and then finally decide, hey, we should probably like go to that place that we initially set out for. The, the fabled g- land of St. Joseph, Missouri. Yeah. Uh, no one should live in Missouri, by the way. But whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it was definitely clear to me how you could definitely take aspects of the relationship between Mose and Addy mm-hmm. and just transplant them right into Logan. I think especially as you mentioned the the weird idea of they're related maybe kinda who really knows if they knew about each other before right. the first frame of this film. Right. 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 Uh so the thing that really torqued me about Paper Moon mm-hmm. is a lot of towns got mentioned, but never Hayes. Yeah, and did not appreciate it. <laughs> well, and and we say that that the movie was shot in Hayes. There's really, from everything that I can track down, there are only a couple of shots in this entire movie that are in Hayes. So yeah. uh, there is the um, they say Tenth and Main, but I'm pretty sure that it is the George Phillips Hardware Store on Eighth Street. I think. I think. 10th and May when I because I saw that mm-hmm. is you know Gellas yeah and then there's that lot and then there's that hardware store that's oh, not yeah, like defunct I'm guessing that's what they're talking about maybe I I, th- I think that I think it's the interior of the George Phillips hardware store back when it was still a hardware store that they used for that ribbon scene the one on 8th and Main uh-huh. right in the corner yeah I think so okay uh, and then the um um couple of widow houses were shot in Hayes. Yeah, that's that was my thought where the shots in Hayes was the widow houses, but I only mm-hmm. thought that because of brick roads because we have a lot of those, <laughs> yeah. but then I remembered uh, most old towns yeah. have brick roads. So that didn't in, really in help. In my research, I did find an article as uh, Lawrence Journal World again, and I'll okay. share an image uh, that they had in an article from 2003 that said some various widow houses mm. uh, were used in Hayes. Everything else was shot in Gorham, which is... Um, a really tiny town between Super Hayes small. and Russell. Yeah. Uh, you blink and you miss it. Uh, so like um, uh, buying the ticket. I mean, that's real obvious because it's written on it the side says of the Gorm, yeah. <laughs> uh, And also yeah. the uh, the place where uh, Mose goes to blackmail the guy to get the $200 initially mm-hmm. at that other place. Uh, that was in Gorham. That place is still standing. You can still go there and see that. that is it thing. there? I was going to go today, but it was raining. It was, raining, it was really raining, so, so I jumped onto, I went onto Google Maps. Did you? <laughs> sure enough, thanks to Street View, it is right there and you can still see it. Like the, the train depot? Everything? Not the train depot. I couldn't find the, that one. That one's not. But the other place find. where he goes and he's, um, yeah, like, where he's trying to get the, the $200 like the out co-op. of the game, That Yeah, that yeah. building is still standing. Oh, yes. And, it, and that's one of the reasons why they wanted to shoot in this area. Originally, they were going to shoot in, where was it? I want to say like Indiana or something like that. Uh, But then uh, as the scouting um, location scout was out here doing stuff, they realized that 
things haven't changed since the 1930s. Things really haven't changed in 40 years. So you need mm. minimal set dressing to make this look like it did in the 1920s and 30s. And so that's why they moved out here. And even today, like I said, you can go on to Google, yeah, Google Earth and you can find that building and save for it being, you know, a little bit more rusty. It is the exact same building. <laughs> so a coat of paint yeah. and a sign. And there you have it. Yeah, really, things hadn't changed between 1930 and 1973, and they haven't changed between 1973 <laughs> and 2017. Yeah. So then the the other places that we were looking at were um, McCracken, Wilt, yeah, McCracken, which was a lot of stuff was shot down there. The opening uh, funeral scene was shot at a cemetery down there. Um, Wilson seemed to be used Wilson, extensively, yeah. which again is uh, a very small town right off the interstate. Um, that it probably just gets a lot of play. It's next to the interstate and it's next to a pretty popular lake out here. Mm -hmm. Uh, and according to Matthew's, uh, remembrance of the, his, uh, the map of the uh, DC universe also supposedly mm -hmm. where Smallville is located. That is true. Oh, is, is yeah. that, is that the location? Yep. 90, 90 miles west of, uh, Salina is the way they described or the I 70 something, something interchange. I'd have to look it up now because I'm old, but yes, Wilson is right about where it would be located mm -hmm. in the 1980 something version of the DC Atlas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we had McCracken where a lot of stuff was shot there. Lacrosse, which is another place, which is South of so, us. Yeah. So everything really is. Hayes is your staging location for the film. That's where all your crew and your movie uh, stars are going to be at. Uh, and then you're just going out to these places, either up and down I well, 183 mm -hmm. or east and west on I-70. And most of these locations are within 45 minutes of here. In fact, what I want to do, try, try to do this weekend, if I have time, uh, I actually found the coordinates for the final shot of the film where they're running down the dirt road. Is that, is that just in Liebenthal? No, that's up in Codell. Oh, which okay. is just north here. That's why okay. I said, hey, what are you doing for lunch today? Yeah. <laughs> drive up to Codell and, and get that last shot. So I want to do that. And then I want to also go down to McCracken and get the shot of the cemetery, which is essentially the first uh, shot of the film. Mm -hmm. And then do a first shot, last shot. Yeah, yeah. You know, 45 years later. <laughs> uh, so that'll be interesting because I know what cemetery it is. And I've got the coordinates and the directions on how to get to that location up in Codell, nice. which is like even smaller than Gorham. Oh yeah, no it, and that was the hard thing of picking out all of the locations they filmed in. Is once you get into the country, throw a dart at Western Kansas, and it probably looks exactly the yeah. same as where they filmed. And, and yep. it's it's really crazy. Like like I said, that some of these locations still exist, and there are people that ha have de dedicated websites to tracking down the current locations of where scenes in this film were and you would think that they'd be people from around here that are doing it no our historical societies could give craps <laughs> about preserving any kind of uh, history about that not film no no but no, uh no. you know there's uh the the hotel one of the hotels that they stay at that building is still there because mm -hmm. it's all limestone one of the banks early on the bank the building is still there all that although um you know the corner door entrance kind of thing has been taken down so a lot of these buildings still exist on, and you can go there today and you can say, oh, yeah, I can totally see where this came from. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of excited about going and, and going to those two locations, do a first shot, last shot. So, yeah, it, it's very exciting for me because really the only movie that gets touted about Hayes uh, from the people that live is Dances with Wolves was never, shot, was never here. shot here and it just gets like <laughs> we get like mentioned a couple times yeah in fact if you go into IMDB you can see uh, if you do a search for Hayes Kansas it will tell you all of the locations uh, that uh, Hayes Kansas has appeared in movies yeah and uh, I'm trying to find it now I can't find it um, well that sucks um, but it, it did list I was looking at it just the other night and um, it, it listed Dances, Wolves, Paper Moon, and like two other movies where Hayes is, is mentioned in the movie. Ooh, yeah. very nice. Was there anything that really stood out to you, Rodrigo, about the cinematography in Paper Moon? Uh, I, yeah, one of the um really strong aspects was the back and forth between the characters, right? Um, you get a lot of shots of the two of them sitting side by side, but you also get a lot of shots of them kind of talking to each other. And the way those were shot, you know, that's, it's not just like your standard 
shot reverse shot a lot of them seem to be directly to camera mm-hmm. which is it's an interesting choice it's a choice that is strong in a comedy um definitely which which i would assume this would be largely classified as um so really that's what stood out to me um were these um these shot reverse shots um which could have easily been like child is talking up at the adult adult is talking down to the child but they really kind of show you that pretty much from the beginning um mose and addy are equals in this partnership right he's not any better than her even though he can like drive and people take him seriously like she is like <laughs> in it from the beginning uh-huh. like yeah i think that's a good point that their first real interaction inside that diner when mm-hmm. she's not eating her is a lot of the personalities are established right there where mm-hmm. mo's it can is not very steadfast in what he wants Addy to do, and it's kind of a pushover, mm-hmm. and will just essentially like yell and like throw his hat and stuff. And Addy is very uh, hard headed and wants her two hundred dollars, and is not going to eat your stupid hot dog mm-hmm. and give me my money. And who are you? Uh, but you're right in the cinematography; she is shown <clears throat> like head on, not looked down upon at all from that moment really oh, on. right right you know yeah he she, knows that he's not going to be able to con her like or push her over her or no sweet talk her into anything no right uh when the movie first started when they are in at the cemetery for Addie's mom's funeral the first couple of shots when mose pulls up you have a pretty wide i would say maybe like 24 millimeter mm-hmm. uh centered shot and i mm-hmm. go oh no is this early Wes oh, no, Anderson? No. Steven's going to hate this. No. So this this movie, the director of cinematography was Laszlo Kovacs, mm-hmm. who we've seen before in a movie called uh, Ghostbusters. Also, <laughs> a movie that we've seen here is um, uh, Easy Rider. He was the director of uh, cinematography, director of photography for Easy Rider. Really? Yeah. That is... When did Easy Riser come out? It was about 69. 69. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Interesting. D- did you see any similarities in the way he was using the camera between Easy Rider and this no, <laughs> at all, Matthew? At all. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think it was similarities specifically, but there's definitely something where if you look at the two of them and go, yeah, I can see that. I don't know. And again, I don't necessarily analyze shots to the level that Steven does either, but there's something tonal, almost primal, that I could say, yeah, I can see how these, th- they're different themes, they're different centuries in almost a different way. But yeah, I feel like I can see the similarity or I can see something to where I would go, I, I, do not, I am not surprised to find that Easy Rider had that same mm. guy behind the camera. Mm. It's, it's, it's a little surprising to me. Nah. Uh, uh, one thing that's uh, that I always like about the cinematography of this piece, yeah, is that it's really contrasty. It has this mm. beautiful contrast to it because in black and white, you you expect to see a little bit more of the gray tones, but here you it's and it's not a harsh black. It's not a harsh contrast, but the skies seem a little darker than what you would normally think if you went outside right now and took a shot with black and white. And that again <laughs> goes back to uh, Orson Welles, who was like. Not only do you need to shoot in black and white, but you need to use a red <laughs> filter because that's going to bring out, you know, it's going to shift everything. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to get more contrast and the sky is going to look more blue and uh, the faces are going to pop more and it's just going to look a lot more interesting. And that's that's the thing that I noticed in this film is that, wow, just everything has this. It's black and white, but it doesn't feel black and white. Mm hmm. And yeah. uh, and I just it, it brings a whole different feel to what people would typically think of a black and white film, because if you compare like this to the opening of uh, Wizard of Oz, for example, those two are mm-hmm. going to look totally different from one another. And I th- and it really, really works here. Uh, Rodrigo, Paper Moon came out in 1973, uh, many, many years past the invention of colored film. Mm. In recent years, we've seen less than a handful of films come out on black and white. I'm thinking of like Nebraska was pretty recent, and then The Artist, 
and that was 2011. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you ever think there's going to be a time of this renaissance of black and white? Because we are at, at a weird time when you look at Mad Max and like, oh, everyone needs to see the black and white version. Or I think like uh, well, Batman Logan, v Superman had a no, black and white, Logan and then like Logan get, is going to get a black and white release and too. Do you, do you think we're, we're we're on the verge of a black and white? renaissance much like 3d had in its time i'm sure uh I, it could happen and all the, this stuff is cyclical there was a big uh black and white thing going on in the 90s you know mm, yep. because because of kevin smith um, and film was cheaper yep yeah. clerk you know all those all those like that new generation of film school kids that eventually became the standard directors that we uh talk about now um they all didn't have their black and white projects and in the 90s it meant something different than it did in the 70s and it's going to mean something different than it does if it comes back um but black and white is always going to have that clout to it right it's like it has like a, a movie that's in black and white automatically is putting a bid in to be classic mm-hmm. or um or serious or to be taken seriously even if it's a comedy um because it's such a strong choice, right? Even for people that don't, you know, a, a lot of people watch movies and they don't realize that literally everything you see on screen is a choice that someone made. Right. Um, but even people that don't get that, I think they see a black and white movie and in like somewhere in the back of their head, they realize that this is a big choice that somebody made to say something. Mm-hmm. Right. Even if they don't get what it is or whatever, even if they're just watching the movie for the enjoyment of it, which, of course, none of us, none of the four of us can even do anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so this. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think um, is there going to be a big black and white renaissance? Who knows? But we're we're always going to see movies uh, make that use that for for a statement or sometimes you know kind of for a cheap statement it yeah. it really doesn't take much for them to just take a movie and treat it through black and white um i mean obviously it, there's plenty of work that has to be done but it's not going to be hugely expensive for them to turn logan black and white mm-hmm. or for them to turn i don't know uh suicide squad black and white there would Oscar- be a lot of work Please, please refer to it as the oh, Oscar, right. winning Oscar winning Suicide Oscar Squad. Winning. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, it's, it is <laughs> it, it is an official distinction now. Yeah. No, no. No, 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 no. no. Uh, no Steven, no, would you recommend all the listeners to Zach on film that they need to rent Paper Moon? I would say, no, no, don't rent this movie. Oh. Go and buy this oh. movie because it is so good. You can get this on iTunes and various places, including that Amazon link over at Majorspoilers.com. A little bit comes back our way. didn't cost <laughs> you anything extra. But seriously, this is a really good film. And, you know, at, at the end, even though it kind of has a downer ending where they've lost their fortune and Moses been beat to a bloody pulp mm-hmm. and they've lost their car and they're driving around in this 19, you know, this 19 teens, uh, um, truck yeah uh it still put a smile on my face and as they're driving away in that last little bit i'm like i forgot how much this is such a darling little film that the next day i was like i kind of want to watch this movie again but i got other things that i need to do (laughs) and even the last uh, week or so two weeks i guess i've been sitting around going i really should watch that movie again because it is that good and it it deserves all the the kudos and the credit that it uh that it's that's been heaped upon it because it's it's fantastic what are your final thoughts about Paper Moon, Matthew? There was, uh, when I was younger, a thing that would show up on MTV once in a while. It was called Unplugged. And what would happen was people that you expected to be, you know, rock and rollers or pop stars or you know, your basic four-dimensional goons would come in and they would play an acoustic guitar or they'd have a quiet set where they'd sing a cappella or with a piano. And this is what... Or this movie reminds me of that because this is a time when they could have gone full color. Even in 1973, they could have gone tricks and bells and whistles and done all sorts of psychotic stuff to this movie. But instead, they made a small, really engaging, really entertaining film that basically features two actors playing off each other and maybe half a dozen other people of note throughout the whole movie And it goes really quickly and it's really entertaining. And just that central relationship is so strong 
that, you know, they, they tried to make a TV series out of it. They're like, yeah, let's do this for half an hour every week on TV. And it, it failed miserably. But the point is, it was such a strong first impression from this film that they thought, let's put this on TV. Let's make this a thing. Let's make more of this because it's amazing. When it's really just kind of a, a nice, I don't want to use the term stripped down, but it's a movie that's deceptively simple. And I agree with Steven. I actually for the first time ever in Zach on film history, found it on my on-demand cable channels and watched it for free. And I was like, yes, this is why I pay $139 a month for all you idiot channels. But yeah, I will probably watch it again in the next few days. Rodrigo, is Paper Moon the quintessential Kansas film people should watch? Uh, I, absolutely, I think uh, more more so that dances with wolves uh, at least. What about the day after? That's that's pretty. Oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, the day after may be the quintessential Kansas movie, uh, but uh, we'll say that Paper Moon is definitely the quintessential Kansas comedy, um, and it's it's got everything you'd want, not just in a, a film about Kansas because it does. It features, you know both the nice aspects, interesting aspects, historical aspects about Kansas with prohibition and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, everything from like uh, fancy hotels, like fancy old timey Western looking hotels to like frightening hayseeds out in the country. Yeah. Uh, uh, but also um, it features uh, a great relationship between two characters uh, and two actors that really carry this film effortlessly, like beautifully. Like this, this film is absolutely delightful. Oh yeah. One last thing that it features. If you live in Kansas, why you should watch this movie is because there's a scene where they just list every town. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, that's over by Lucas. We could go through Lou-Ray. Except for the town that Steven and Zach live in and the town that I used to live in. Every other town. town To be fair, uh, they do say thanks to at the end and the credits. They They don't mention the the Gorms or the McCrackens or any of that. They just say thank you to the people of Hayes, Kansas and St. Joseph, Missouri. In in a crap town in Missouri. Yeah. But it's fine. (laughs) Do you know? Uh, I've, just real... been, I've been to St. Joe, Missouri. It's not that <laughs> No, bad. I'm it sure is, it's wonderful. It's just, uh, I don't think there are any houses. It's just grain elevators, but they, <laughs> they do have a lot of. Uh, one other thing uh, the reason why this movie is called Paper Moon is uh, the book, it's based on a book, Eddie Prey. Oh, okay. Right. And um, Brogdanovich was going through and it just thrown down a bunch of like random titles, including Paper Moon. It, I think is maybe it was mentioned in the book or something. Mm. Um, or no, he was listening to the music of the time period, came across the songs, and he wrote that down. And then again, he goes to Orson Welles, who's an uncredited consultant on this film. Mm-hmm. And he takes one look at um, at the at the paper moon, and he basically says, you can sell the movie alone on the title. <laughs> and so he uh, – actually, he said, you should just release the title instead of <laughs> actually doing a movie. Uh, because he thought that was Bold. the greatest title ever, and so they had to, they had to include the shot of her getting her photograph taken mm-hmm. to include it's that, great, so, so that it was t- it, it was tied back into the um, into the. Actual I, I figured movie. they weren't going to because they play the song and there's like okay right. this is it like this is all you need normally right like mm-hmm. there's tons of movies that are just the name of a title or, or the title of a song and they just play it once in the movie and that's it that's all you need but the fact that they actually made it an important moment in the film involving mm-hmm. a paper moon is actually really strong. Like they managed to bring that around and actually make it an important aspect of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two and a half million dollar budget, 13 million dollars in profit. Not bad. I'd say that's, that's a good one. That's a pretty good. Money. That's in that's 73 like, money. Yep. That's $17 billion no, today. It's pretty close. <laughs> Probably more like making the movie for 25 million and having it, it make 130 million. I mean, not chump change. No. Big question, though, Zach. So, yeah. Did the wife watch this with you? Did you uh, talk her into it? Because <laughs> I, I was going to call you up after I watched it, but I knew you were yeah. traveling and doing all that. Because I was going to say, look, your wife needs to watch this movie. Because even though it's black and white, mm-hmm. she's going to love it in the end. I think... Okay, so first, no, she did not watch it with me. She <laughs> wanted to catch up on Dancing with the Stars. Oh, my God! <laughs> uh, but after watching it, I think i can make a big enough pitch 
to at least say this movie features Hayes, and I won't tell her, no, it kind of really doesn't, uh, that I can get her to watch it, even though it is black and white. And I think she could possibly enjoy this more than Citizen Kane or Metropolis. Yeah. Just lie to her and tell her that her dad's store is, is one of the locations. Oh, that'd be pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah so, Paper Moon, uh, great little Don't film. Your really, in, really enjoyed watching it. What is the next film we have up on our, our Logan sure, series? Sure, the next uh, Logan film that is inspired <laughs> by this. Uh, it is a Clint Eastwood film called The Gauntlet. You know, you saying "ugh" does not fill me with a whole lot of confidence with this movie. It's not a great film, but if you're trying to, we're being chased by horrible peoples throughout the entire piece. Eh, all right, all right. Well, some people uh, really like it. Super exciting episode next week on Zach on Film when we watch Clint Eastwood's The Gauntlet. If you want to psych yourself up for that, in the meantime, head over to Majorspoilers.com where you can find this podcast posting page. Did I say that right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I said that right. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. We're going to keep going. And uh, you can give your comments on Paper Moon or anything we talked about this week. While there, you could also download one of the other great podcasts for Major Spoilers, including the Major Spoilers podcast, Top mm-hmm. 5 Critical Hit, and so many more that you will enjoy as you wait for a whole week for the next episode of Zach on Film to come out. But I promise you'll make it through. Uh, Steven already mentioned the, the Amazon link mm-hmm. over Major Spoilers, but there is a Patreon you can sign up for. That's right. Head over to patreon.com slash Major Spoilers. If you enjoy the show, you enjoy the conversation, you want to see us dive into even more movies going forward, then we need your support. As little as two bucks a month? That's like nothing. Uh, you head over to patreon.com slash Major Spoilers. Sign up today. Support your, your favorite podcasters. Yeah, just trick a little old lady giving you change, and you can get $2 every month. It's fine. (laughs) Uh, So that's it for this week's episode of Zach on Film. We'll see you next week. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.